facts, candid conversations, and some levity to lighten your day. This is The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Magnificent Monday to you. 888-914-9149 is a toll-free line to call to talk to me for free, as always, on The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. 888-914-9149. You can also email the program kale, C-A-L-E, at relevantradio.com. And you can follow me on Twitter at Kale Clark, C-A-L-E, Clark with an E, of course. That's the right way. I'm only kidding to all the Clark with a K people. We love you too. Brothers and sisters from another mother. But anyways, I'm so happy to be with you on this Monday. We've got an incredible show for you lined up. Believe it or not, today is Michelangelo's birthday. He was born on this day in 1475. I have to pull out my calculator to figure out how old he is now. I'm going to share nine wild facts about his life that, that are incredibly entertaining. I can't wait to share this with you. Uh, 548, is that what you said? Uh, all right, Pat Patrick Alog tells me 548. He's he's quick on the draw. I think he even did that in his head without actually pulling out the calculator app. I did, and I'm on air. Yes, I did. I'm going to take... Yes, I did. I can even fact check. You're amazing. You, you, are, you are truly amazing, and... Um, Patrick Alog is sitting in producing for Jim Shaper today. Uh, Jim will be back tomorrow. And you can call in 888-914-9149. Thomas will be working the phones today. And uh, he will take your call. And so it's a bit of a musical chairs here. And I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. Th- this is um, a special day in my family as well because it- it's a great faith anniversary day. Today is the seventh anniversary of my daughter Michaela's baptism. She was baptized on this day in 2016. Baptism is the most important sacrament. It's not the greatest sacrament. That would be the Eucharist, of course. It's Christ himself, but it is the most important one. We'll talk about that as well. And because it's Monday, I wanted to talk about multitasking and how it's destroying your workday without you even realizing it. And I was... I was blown away by what I discovered about this, and you are not going to want to miss this. This is coming up later in the program. But because it's Monday, and because every day in Lent we're looking at memento mori, we're remembering our death, which will happen at some point. I hate to hate to break it to you, but uh, we might as well make peace with it now. We're looking at the memento mori Lenten devotional by Sister Teresa Alethea Noble, who's a daughter of St. Paul. So it's a bit of a memento mori Monday, but I actually want to share with you for, for this day's uh, entry, I encourage you guys to pick up this uh, devotional from the Daughters of St. Paul or wherever fine books are sold. It's, it's really good. It's what I'm using for this Lent. I just wanted to share some insights with you each day, and we can kind of go through this together. I actually want to share the entry from yesterday, from Sunday, which is, of course, the second week of Lent, second full week of Lent. Of course, I know it starts on Ash Wednesday, but this is still considered the second week of Lent. And you know the gospel reading, of course, this year it was taken from Matthew's gospel, but it's the same uh, incident in the life of Christ, uh, no matter what year it is, whether it's year A, year B, or year C, different gospels are used, but they're all about the transfiguration. And so in Luke's gospel, now this year it was Matthew, because it's year A, but in Luke's version of the transfiguration, this is what it says in Luke 9.32, Peter and his companions had been overcome by sleep, but becoming fully awake, they saw his glory. 
So they were actually dozing off before the transfiguration. Peter has a habit of doing this. Peter, James, and John, they're tired. I mean, climbing the mountain couldn't couldn't have been easy. But uh, they also fell asleep, of course, famously in the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, Jesus is praying, and they're they're just too tired to keep watch with him. So this is what uh, Sister Teresa says about this. And it, it's, a, it's a really interesting entry for today. I, I was really uh, amazed at how she put a couple things here. Avoidance of suffering is really the topic. And we, we seek to do this all the time, especially in modern North American society. Think about the euthanasia movement. This is all about avoiding suffering and trying to embrace death almost as an escape from suffering. Anyways, here's what Sister Teresa says. She says, quote, Aging, pain, illness, broken relationships, death. All humans experience these things at one point or another. Yet we often try to convince ourselves that we can somehow avoid them. We irrationally deny reality and insist on being the exception to the expected. Unfortunately, when something bad does happen to us, our unmet expectations compound our suffering. I just want to stop there for a second. I'm going to end the quote there just for a second. That is so true. (laughs) All of these things touch every single human life. Aging, pain, illness, broken relationships. We we are all going to die. But we, we think we can somehow avoid these things. And so when they do happen to us, that, that makes the suffering even worse because we, we're kind of saying to ourselves, this shouldn't be happening to me. This stuff is for other people, not me. And that, that's just a really an insane way to look at it. And uh, Sister continues, quote, Refusing to accept the unavoidable, we try to escape it. We might try the hedonistic route. Drowning out, and, and some people have tried this, and you're listening to me, you maybe tried this. Tried the hedonistic route. She says, drowning out the size of our sorrows with size of pleasure. Or we might avoid suffering by pretending to be stoic and immune to it. Okay, that, that is, let me just interject right here for a second. That's a very popular trend right now, stoicism. There's actually a series of books about the philosophy of stoicism that's incredibly popular, selling a lot of copies People are saying, I can, I can escape the problems of life by being a Stoic and simply by being immune to these problems, or so they think. Sister says, we might also try to control our future, deluding ourselves that we can somehow escape suffering, but unfortunately, none of these options free us from suffering. Instead, they simply just numb our emotions or fill us with anxiety and only intensify our pain in the long run. Avoidance of suffering is like an anesthesia that puts us into a deep, temporary slumber to help us cope with life by avoiding reality. We can sleep through life, whether by drowning suffering with pleasure or pretending suffering doesn't exist. But when we do these things, we miss both the painful and the wondrous. She says, the disciples slept not only before the terror in the Garden of Gethsemane, but also before the wonder of the transfiguration. To avoid suffering is to avoid the beauty of life, because suffering is part of life on earth. To suffer is to live. When we avoid suffering, we avoid living. And when we try to avoid a part of living, we end up avoiding life entirely. We embrace death before natural death. Wow, just... 
end of quote there. That That is a money quote right there from Sister Teresa. That's incredible. Suffering is part of life on earth. To suffer is to live because when we try to avoid it, we actually avoid living because that is part of life. And so in a sense, it's, it's embracing death, as she says, before natural death. I bet you never thought of it this way. Avoiding suffering in life is actually embracing death. That, that, is, that is very important for us to realize. And so for us to get the, the full reality of life, suffering is part of the deal. And, she, and it's, Jesus embraced it himself. And this is what she says, quote, Jesus, the Son of God, the only one who could have avoided suffering if he wanted to, chose to die on a cross. The way beyond sorrow and suffering, therefore, is to follow Jesus through it, not to avoid it. He has shown us the way to life. Our all-powerful God chose to experience the depth of human pain and sorrow, and in this way transformed it. Knowing this, some of us still think we can somehow supersede the human condition if we just try really hard or read enough self-help books. However, rather than striving to overcome our humanness and frailty, we're better off remembering it. And this is where the memento mori thing comes in, of course, remembering your death. To remember death is a suffering. So in order to practice memento mori, remembering our death, we must first accept suffering. Now, our vulnerability and mortality can be painful, but it ensures that we cooperate with and are awake to witness the transfiguration that God wants to work in our souls. Nice little pun there by Sister Teresa. We, we need to be awake, just as Peter, James, and John needed to wake up to experience the transfiguration. If we don't accept the suffering in our life that, that God allows, we're going to miss this. We're going to miss the transformation that he's going to do within us. And so this is, this is this important for us to, to know. And so, I don't know, you, you probably know somebody who um, is trying to somehow medicate their way out of suffering or avoid it in some way. Uh, we need to pray for these people. So here's a, here's a question for you, and maybe you can call in, 888-914-9149. What are the ways that people try to sleep their way through life, just as Peter, James, and John were asleep on the Mount of Transfiguration? What are some ways that people sleepwalk through their lives? whether it's through too many distractions, whether it's through their phones, through shows, whatever. Let, let me know what you think. Maybe workaholism, worrying, <laughs> guilty as charged. But there are a lot of ways that people try to sleepwalk their way through life to try. In, in a sense, it's, it's sort of avoiding suffering. It's an avoiding of confronting the, the realities of life. So anyway, she, she just kind of closes with a, a nice quote from St. Jerome from one of his letters. And St. Jerome, again, touches on this theme of philosophy and how people try to use philosophy, yeah, to seek knowledge also, but also because they they want to try to, in some ways, they're, they're, they're looking for reality in the wrong place. Philosophy is important. There's no question about it. But it's not the end game. It points us to someone, uh, Jesus Christ. Now, I think about St. Justin Martyr, the great philosopher who was looking for the true philosophy. And he meets this mysterious old man on the beach. And this guy starts talking to him about Christianity. And he's just enraptured by this. And he eventually realizes that the philosophy of Jesus is the answer. But anyways, here, here's what St. Jerome said. He said, quote, 
Plato thinks that a wise man's whole life ought to be a meditation on death. And philosophers praise the sentiment and extol it to the skies. So this, this is interesting. So he's not denying that philosophers think about death. They do think about death. And they actually think it's a great thing if you can meditate on your own death. But, but St. Jerome goes on to say this. There's something better. Much greater in power, he says, are the words of the apostle. I die daily through your glory. 1 Corinthians 15, 31. For to have an ideal is one thing. To realize it is another thing. It's one thing to live so as to die. Another, another thing entirely to, to die so as to live. The sage, by, by that he means the philosopher, and the Christian must both die. But the one always dies out of his glory. That's the philosopher. The other dies into his glory. That's the Christian. Oh, he says, if we could but go up a watchtower so high that from it we might behold the whole earth spread out under our feet, then I would show you the wreck of the world, nation warring against nation and kingdom in collision with kingdom, some tortured, others put to the sword, others swallowed up by the waves, some dragged away into slavery, here a wedding, there a funeral, some born here, some dying there, some living in affluence, some begging for their bread, all the inhabitants of the world alive now, but destined soon to pass away. Language is inadequate to a theme so vast, and all that I can say must fall short of the reality. Let us return to ourselves and come down from the skies. Let us look for a few moments upon what more closely concerns us. Are you conscious, I would ask, of the stages of your growth? Can you fix the time? When you became a baby, when you became a child, when you became a youth, when you became an adult, when you became an old person. Every day we are changing, every day we are dying, and yet we fancy ourselves eternal. The very moments I spend in writing and reading over what I write and in correcting it, those are moments taken from my life. Every dot that my secretary makes is a moment gone from my allotted time. We write letters and reply to those of others. Our missives cross the sea, and as the vessel plows its furrow through wave after wave, the moments we have to live vanish one by one. Our only gain is that we are thus knit together in the love of Christ. End of quote. So that's St. Jerome from letter number 60. And so this idea that, okay, it's one thing to think about your death. It's one thing to... Uh, kind of gain something from it philosophically. But he, he says it's way better to actually kind of do it now. As St. Paul says, I die daily. I pick up my cross daily, as Jesus told me to. And so I do that so I can live the life that is truly life. And, and picking up our cross, part of it involves embracing the suffering, the, the cross that, that God has for us, the cross of the day, maybe bigger crosses that last for a long time in our lives, but we can't anesthetize ourselves against these things. We have to be able to be awake because even though it's a painful experience, it's part of the, the, the full-orbed human experience that Jesus himself experienced. And we've got to understand that he allows it for our good. He allows it to purify us of maybe selfish desires. And we will be thankful I believe we will be thankful in heaven for these crosses because without them, we simply wouldn't have gotten to where he wanted us to be, which is to become a saint. 
You're listening to The K.O. Clark Show on Relevant Radio. We'll be right back after these messages. 888-914-9149. If you're in the market for health insurance, our sponsor, the Catholic Order of Foresters, is here to help you and your family find the most cost-effective health plan. Learn more at relevantradio.com slash Forrester. Faith, facts, and fun. It's the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Have a question? Give Kale a call at 888-914-9149. Welcome back to the program, 888-914-9149. You know, it's Michelangelo's birthday today. You're listening to The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. We tried to find some Michelangelo music, and actually Patrick Alog, who's producing today, sitting in for Jim Shaper. Jim Shaper's on his retreat. I think he's uh, in a dark room with Aaron Rodgers. I don't know. They're trying to figure out their future together. But uh, no, I'm just kidding. But he's coming back. He's coming back tomorrow. But Patrick Alog. Doing a fine job producing uh, in Jim's absence, has looked up. Uh, he did find a song about Michelangelo, but it's kind of a heavy metal song. And it was, what were the lyrics again? Can you, can you tell me those lyrics? Yeah, that the just lyrics told me? I have here Michelangelo, a scripture he was feeling. The church came along and said, Please paint our ceiling. It took too much time. They said, Can't you go faster? He screamed, It's a fresco. I'm painting in wet plaster. <laughs> That could be like a rap song too. That's pretty good. Somebody needs to do that. But oh, there's more lyrics too. But I'll, I'll yeah, talk to yeah, you we'll we'll the stop break. there though for the sake of our audience. But thank you for that. And uh, you're listening to the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Listen, here are nine things that are really wild that you probably don't know about Michelangelo. Evan Andrews writing for History.com. He he kind of lists them out. Number one is this is this is a great story. A jealous rival actually broke his nose. When he was a teenager, I don't know if you know this, but Michelangelo, when he when he was in his teenage years, he was sent to live and study in the home of a guy named Lorenzo de Medici. He's one of the is it Medici or Medici? I don't know, one of the two. But uh, the great, it, it, yeah, it's just all right, I'll pick I'll pick a lane and just I'll, I'll say Medici. It sounds more Italian, but anyways. So Lorenzo de Medici, one of the most important art patrons in all of Europe. So. Obviously, Michelangelo was pretty talented, but when, you, when you're talented, sometimes that causes jealousy to rise up in, in the minds of your rivals and human beings being what they are. One young rival named Pietro Torrigiano, he grew so enraged at Michelangelo's talent, and also Michelangelo was known to kind of throw out a cutting remark here or there. He was a bit sarcastic. And anyways, Pietro had just had enough at one point. He actually punched him directly in the nose. And it was it was, it was a little bit like Big John Scott. You know, he's been on the program before, the heavyweight champion of the NHL. It's like being hit by John Scott. Anyways, Michelangelo, his nose, after after taking this, this shot from Pietro, was permanently, permanently disfigured. Uh, his nose was smashed in, and it never really recovered. In fact, Pietro bragged about it after the fact. And if, if Facebook or Twitter was around, he certainly would have posted this on Twitter. This is what he said, quote, I gave him such a blow on the nose that I felt bone and cartilage go down like biscuit 
beneath my knuckles, end of quote. That, that's, wow. Okay, and he also said this, this mark of mine he will carry with him to the grave. Oh, man, that's, that, is, uh, that is harsh. So, so Michelangelo's nose was never quite the same. So that's the first thing that you probably didn't know about him. Number two, he first rose to prominence after a failed attempt at art fraud. Yeah, this was like the scam of the century. So early in his career, here's what Michelangelo did. He actually carved a statue of a Cupid, just like the ancient Greeks used to do. And so his patron, this guy Lorenzo di Medici, he said, listen, I got an idea for you, Michelangelo. Why don't we become con men together? Let's, let's try to pull off a scam. So here's the deal. You're gonna ha- you've made this beautiful statue. We're going to bury it, and we're going to pretend to discover it as some long-lost treasure. I'm going to send it to Rome, and I'm going to say it's an antique, and we're going to sell it for big bucks. And Michelangelo's like, that's a great plan. That's a great plan. So guess who bought this thing, this, this alleged... Uh, a wonderful piece of art from the past, and they, they, they buried it. Oh, look what we found. So they sold it to, to Cardinal Raphael Riario, so one of the cardinals of the Holy Roman Catholic Church. Can you believe this? So they sold it to him as a, quote-unquote, recently recovered archaeological wonder. Now, the cardinal eventually found out that it was all a scam, and he actually got his money back, but instead of throwing Michelangelo into prison, he was so impressed with his skill as an artist, that he was like, can you come to Rome to meet with me? And he's like, okay. So the Cardinal actually brings him to Rome, and this is when he's hanging out in Rome for the next several years, and this is where he wins his art commission to carve the famous Pieta. And and that was, and he did this when he was really, really young, the Pieta. I can't remember, I think he was 20-something years old or 20 years old. Patrick, you can fact check this for me. One of the few works that he actually signed, he actually signed his name across uh, the sash on Our Lady's chest. I did this because he was, he was a bit prideful, and, and he was obviously the best in the business, and he wanted people to know it. Anyways, third thing about uh, Michelangelo that you probably didn't know, he actually carved the famous David statue. And if, you, if you've never seen the David statue, you've you got to Google it. Um, I believe it's in Florence, um, the original. Kind of reminds me of myself. No, not really. My, if, he, if he carved me, I'd have this huge beer belly. You know, it, it, yeah. I don't think he would ever do, do that. But anyway, so Michelangelo actually carved the famous David statue from, a, from an old block of marble that was kind of thrown away. Nobody wanted to work with it. It, it was kind of a mess. And he kind of did it, again, just to prove how great he was. So... This this massive slab of marble, they, they actually it actually had a name. It was called the Giant. It was just this huge block of marble that was uh, quarried uh, forty years before, and it was supposed to go for. Uh, it was supposed to be turned into a whole bunch of different sculptures, but nobody could work with it. It was just the artists were like they're just throwing up their hands, throwing up their chisels, and in fact, this block of marble had all kinds of chisel marks from guys who tried to work on it, tried to make something out of it, and they just couldn't do it. They just gave up. And so they left it actually outside the giant slab of marble. They left it outside, and after many years of exposure to the elements, for 40 years, it just kind of sat there. And it was really a mess when Michelangelo got a hold of it. He's like, I'm going to make something out of this. So he got it in the year 1501, and that's what he used to turn into the most, one of the most beautiful statues he, he ever made, David. 
But the fact that it was such a bad piece of marble, that's that's why the David statue is actually deteriorating a lot faster than his other statues like the Pieta. So just so you know. The fourth thing that you probably didn't know about Michelangelo, he actually completed artwork for nine different Catholic popes. That's incredible. Oh, by the way, he, he carved the Pieta when he was 22, when he was only 22 years old. Have you ever seen a Michelangelo work in person, by the way? Have you ever been to the Vatican Museum? Have you, see, have you seen the Pieta uh, at St. Peter? By the way, some guy tried to destroy the Pieta. I'll talk about that in just a second. But 888-914-9149. What is your favorite work of Michelangelo? It could be one of his paintings. We'll talk about them. It could be one of his statues. Let me know. 888-914-9149. But yeah, his work spanned nine different papacies. And in, in the year 1505... He started working for different popes, all the way from Julius II to Pius IV. And he, he did everything. Anything that the popes commissioned him to do, he would do it. So he would make these ornamental knobs for the bedposts for the pope. Okay, whatever. Um, the Sistine Chapel, he spent four grueling years painting the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. Wow. And it wasn't always a, he wasn't the easiest guy to work with. And some of these popes he was working for weren't always easy to work for. In fact, he once spent three years working on a marble facade for Pope Leo X. And then after three years of him working on this, the Pope said, I'm canceling this project. Now nah, we're not going to finish this. What? Man, come on. I've been, I've been lying on my back here carving this thing for three years. Anyways, so his, his, his best relationship with the Pope was with Pope Paul III, who actually commissioned the famous Last Judgment in the Sistine Chapel. And if you've seen it, I've been there, and I was actually really shocked how small that room was. If You, you know what I'm talking about if you're there. And everyone's just in awe when you go into the Sistine Chapel for the first time and you see this uh, fresco of the Last Judgment by Michelangelo. And people start talking and whispering and talking really loudly. Wow, 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 wow. And then there's this guy who's in the room, and he just claps his hands, and he goes, Silencio, silencio. And then everybody... You know, has to be really quiet for a minute. And then they start talking again. And then he claps his hands again. Silencio, silencio. So this is like, this keeps going on and on and on. And anyways, uh, Pope uh, Paul III, a lot of people criticize Michelangelo because, as you know, he, he painted some members of the church into the Last Judgment scene, some cardinals and bishops. And they, they actually... These particular guys, he, he, they're, they're actual real bishops and cardinals. He put their faces on the people that are going to hell. <laughs> and they didn't really like that very much. But Pope Paul III said, actually, I think this is, this is pretty good. I, I don't like that guy either. So uh, anyways, he defended the Last Judgment. And uh, a lot of people also thought it was obscene because there was uh, some nudity there as well. But anyways, Michelangelo also, here's fact number five. He actually would paint himself into a lot of his most famous uh, works of art. Other than the Pieta, he rarely signed his works, and he, there was no formal self-portrait of Michelangelo left behind. But he would sometimes put himself into sculptures and paintings. And in the fresco in the Sistine Chapel, The Last Judgment, which he did in 1541, St. Bartholomew was holding up his skin. You know, he died by having his skin cut off, according to tradition, so... So St. Bartholomew is holding up a piece of flayed skin, and the face on the skin without a body is the face of Michelangelo, apparently. 
he also did something called the Florentine Pieta, and he made himself Nicodemus. So he put his face on Nicodemus. So there you go. The guy that came to Jesus at night, Nick at night, as I like to call him. And anyway, so there's a couple other things that he, that he put himself in. Number six, the nine things you didn't know about Michelangelo. He actually designed military fortifications for the city of Florence. So in 1527, uh, the citizens of Florence kicked out the Medici family. And they said, you guys need to leave. You're ruling this place. We want you out. So they, they put in a Republican government of their own. Now, Michelangelo's boss at the time was Pope Clement VII, who was one of the Medici popes. So he was basically fighting against his, his own boss. And Michelangelo's like, yeah, let's go with the Republicans. I want to help you in your fight. So he was he was tasked with designing the the fortifications of the city. So he sketched all these lookout bastions and he went to other towns and studied how they built their city walls. And so he designed this this fortification for Florence. And it was it was actually really tough because the Pope sent his army to try to reclaim the city back for the Medici. And man, I tell you, Michelangelo did a good job because Florence actually survived for ten months under a military siege. Finally, the city fell in 1530 and uh, was reclaimed by the Medici. And what did the Pope do? Pope Clement VII. Remember, he was fighting basically against the Pope. He was, and the Pope said, "Okay, dude, um, I'm going to forgive you for this. This is this is not cool, uh, and I'm actually going to hire you back." I mean, that's how, when you're really good at something, you, you'll always have a job. Okay, and Michelangelo was absolutely the best. Even his enemies wanted to hire him. Anyways. Um, it, it was it was uh, it was tougher for Michelangelo because the Pope died in the year 1534, and so he, he knew that his life was in danger at that point. So he took off, went to Rome, and he never came back. A couple more things. Number seven, he was an accomplished poet. I bet you didn't know that. Uh, he might have actually penned a, a, a rap song about his own life, but he. A lot of people don't know this because they, they think about him as a master of the visual arts. But he he actually wrote several hundred poems, sonnets, madrigals over his career, and uh, sometimes when he was working on statues, he would just sort of have a notebook handy, and he would also write poetry as he was doing it. And he wrote about all kinds of things, human relationships, love. Believe it or not, he actually wrote a poem about his overactive bladder. Yes, imagine that. He actually talks about, quote, a drippy duct compelling me awake too early, end of quote. Um that didn't get published that one for some reason, but <laughs> at any rate, um, some, some people actually found some of his poems and they actually, uh, made songs out of them. They set them to music, but I don't think that one made the cut, but anyways, number eight, he kept working until the very week that he died. And that's, that's kind of cool because it shows number one, that he loved his work and people, human beings are made to work as St. Jose Maria said. Human beings are made to work like birds were made to fly. And and, and even if we're quote-unquote retired, we need to be working at something because we will just sort of atrophy and, and shrivel up if we don't in some ways. And you might say you might be retired right now listening in Florida or Arizona saying, yeah, I'm working on my short game. Well, that's okay. Hey, I can, I can get behind that. That's pretty good. But anyways, Michelangelo, during his final years, the big project that he was working on was, of course, the construction of St. Peter's Basilica. And at, at a certain point, he was just too sick. He was too old to go to the job site. 
but he would still give instructions. He would he would write these, come up with these drawings, these architectural drawings, and he would give them to his, guys that he would trust and say, make sure that they execute this plan. But he kept his his true love, of course, was was being a sculptor, and he and he did that until the very very end. Only a few days before he died, at the age of eighty eight. And again, today's his birthday. He was born in 1475. He would have been 548 years old today. But at the age of 88, he was still working on another Pieta. It was called the Ronandini Pieta. And it's it's Jesus in the arms of the Virgin Mary. And uh, that's what he was working on when he died. So the unfinished work of Michelangelo, but the ones that he did finish uh, changed the world forever. So just some interesting factoids, some fun uh, anecdotes about the life of the great Michelangelo by Evan Andrews. So I appreciate that that article. Really, really cool. Let's go to the phones right now. Let's go to Rocco in Bronx, in the Bronx. Hi, Rocco. How you doing? Good. Thanks for taking my call. You're welcome. Great. You're welcome. Uh, listen, um, yeah, it's the first time I'm calling uh, your show. Uh, yeah, my so, favorite, um, Michelangelo, well, there's so many of them, but I like the Pieta. And uh, you said that you said sculpture. Which favorite sculpture? That's my favorite sculpture. And, and um, have you gone to Rome? Have you seen it, Rocco, live? Yes, I did. I, it was great. Uh, actually, I went there years ago. Uh, my wife, actually, when we were dating, she took me there. And uh, so it was, it was fantastic. Actually, I'm an artist, so, uh, uh-huh. but I enjoy, I enjoy his work. He's one of my favorite artists. Uh, he did so much. And his paintings are fantastic. Just to see them out light, the Sistine Chapel, and phenomenal, you know. Yeah, and um, it really is, isn't it? Yeah, it, yeah. yeah. It, it's incredible. I've only been to to Rome one time, and I got to see the Pieta and the Sistine Chapel, and and just to be able to see them in living color is, is unbelievable. Hey, Rocco, thank you so much for calling in. I love it when yeah, first time callers yeah. call in. Call back, please. Call back another time. I really appreciate you, Rocco in the Bronx, and of course. Um, you might know that in 1972, there was a geologist by the name of Laszlo Toth who was, he had a lot of mental issues, unfortunately, and he actually jumped over a guardrail at St. Peter's Basilica and he actually had a hammer and he tried to destroy the Pieta and he uh, actually was able to uh, break off the nose of the Madonna, uh, her forearm, uh, part of her veil, and, and restoration crews um, actually were able to recover most of it and they were able to restore it. But there was an American tourist who was there that day and during the whole fracas, he actually picked up a piece of the Pieta and he took it home with him. (laughs) But he felt so guilty afterwards, he actually mailed it back to the Vatican later. So uh, it's good. Hey, you got to listen to your conscience, right? And of course, now it's behind a protective glass. And the same thing happened uh, in 1991 to the famous David statue. Again, somebody with a chisel uh, hammered off part of uh, David's toe uh, on uh, on his left foot. Ouch! 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 And uh, anyways, um, speaking of, speaking of toes, by the way, <laughs> uh, strange segue. But tomorrow on the Faith Explained, I'm going to be talking about the ordination of the first three priests of the Old Covenant. I'm talking about Aaron and his sons in the book of Exodus. And it's really weird. There's this ritual where blood is put on their ear, put on their thumbs, and put on their big toes, on their right foot. And you say, why is that? That's so strange. Blood from the sacrifice. I think it's because they had to listen to God. That's the ear part, obviously. Uh, Blood on the thumb because they had to work for God. 
and then blood on their toe because they had to follow God. They had to follow in his footsteps and follow in his path of holiness. And we all have to do that. We all have to do that because we all share in the baptismal priesthood of Jesus Christ. And that's really important. 888 So do listen to The Faith Explained tomorrow. We're going to talk about that tomorrow at 1230 Central on Relevant Radio or catch the podcast. But we'll be right back on The Kale Clark Show right after this. 888-914-9149. Stay tuned. How are you aligning your financial plan with your Catholic values? Is your Catholic faith influencing your financial future? Our sponsor, Creative Planning, has options. More info, including disclosures, at creativeplanning.com forward slash Catholic Focus. Welcome back to the program, 888-914. 9149. Patrick Alog really wanted to play some music from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles because, well, it's Michelangelo's birthday. And, of course, the other turtles were Donatello, Raphael. By the way, Michelangelo did know Donatello at some level. And, in fact, his very first kind of famous sculpture was called the Madonna of the Stairs. And he kind of did it in the style of Donatello. He kind of, kind of, you know emulated the old master before he kind of went out on his own. You're listening to The Kale Clark Show, 888-914-9149. Let's go to the phones right now. Mark is calling from Rosemont, California. Hi, Mark. Hey, Kale. Thanks so much. I really appreciate your sincerity, and you're so down-to-earth and approachable. Um, here's my question. My first question is, um, I teach in a public high school, and I wanted to, I wanted hmm. to share with my students uh, I have a nice uh, reproduction uh, photograph of of, uh, of the David statue. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, as you know, it's nude. Uh, what yeah. do you think about me showing it to like seventh and ninth graders? And uh, how would you explain Ooh. explain it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't know if there's. That's a great question. I don't know if there's an answer to that question. I I feel like people would probably come down on on different sides whether it's okay to show a, a piece of art that's a nude to to students i think as they're high school students their high school ish mm-hmm. age I, I don't see a problem with it i hate to say this and and this is not this doesn't mean that you should show it or not show it but tragically a lot of these kids have seen far far worse than that uh in terms of oh that's a good point <laughs> you know uh, you know on the you know I, I hate to say that but that's uh that's that's a reality yes. of life i don't but i don't think it's presented in a you know, a sexualized way or anything like that. And and there were people even when they I'm sure that this happened when they did the the, the restore the restoration of the um of the Sistine Chapel, the famous frescoes of Michelangelo, the creation of Adam and all that stuff. There were people in the church who wanted them to essentially paint bathing suits over these these figures and, and I think John Paul II said, <laughs> Absolutely not. That's ridiculous. Don't don't do that. Because it's mm-hmm. it, the human body is there is a, there is a goodness, of course, to the human body, and and yes. this 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 is part of the theology of the body that God created us male and female, and, and tragically, this has been obscured and lost in so many different ways in today's culture, and people are so confused about this. But um, but I think I think 
th- this is part of the genius of Michelangelo. It just abs like a work like David shows the the glory of God in, in the human person. Um, and I I I I, yeah. I, I personally probably would do it but if it were if it were younger kids i probably wouldn't um i, I don't know it's yeah you know i no you know i think you're making a good point something you just said reminded me there's a difference between art and pornography and david yes, is yeah. is definitely art uh, and the mm-hmm. second thing i wanted to ask you uh kale is um what is your source for these stories about michelangelo because i'd really like to read read more <laughs> sure sure yeah <laughs> actually it was what we'll do is we'll put it we'll put a link to it in the show notes it was an article on history.com which was really well done. Okay. And uh, we'll, we'll, put a, we'll put a link to it. Um, Nine Things You May Not Know About Michelangelo. That was the name of the article, but, but I'll link to it. And I thought it was a lot of fun. Just some off-the-beaten-path type stories about him to add some, some flavor to his very colorful life. I don't know if we need to add too much color to it, but it was, uh, it was great. So, yeah, we'll, we'll put a link in there well, for you. Oh, thank you so much, Kale, and uh, thank you for doing this topic because, you know, there's so many problems in the world, moral problems, so it's nice to just hear about something beautiful for a change. <laughs> mm, yeah, thank, thanks, Mark. I appreciate that a lot. I mean, the transcendentals are a big part of yeah. what we're all about, truth, goodness, and beauty, and there is, there are, there is a lot of negativity out there, so um, I'm, I'm glad you found it helpful. I, I appreciate the call very much and the encouragement. Thanks so much, oh, Mark. Keep up the good back. work, Kale. Thanks. God bless you. Please uh, pray for me. We'll pray for you too, Mark. That, that's great. Mark in Rosemont, California. That, that was an encouraging call, man. That that kind of pumped me up a little bit and lifted my spirits, and we all we all need that. And so uh, I, I'm encouraged by you guys, and I hope uh, in some way I'll be an encouragement to you. 888 Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Well, the show is about faith, facts, and fun. And here's a fact that I found. Because it's Monday, we're starting a new work week for many of us. I found a really interesting piece on the Rescue Time blog. And this is an amazing research piece about communication overload and how interruptions and multitasking just simply doesn't work. And it's destroying the productivity of the average American worker. And and Jory McKay, who is an editor at Rescue Time, uh, wrote this piece. And he talks about how people are obviously concerned about email taking over our lives. That, that's one thing. And Cal Newport has written a book called A World Without Email, which sounds like a world I'd want to live in. But there are other things in the, in the American workplace because of digital tools that people have, uh, ubiquity of smartphones, Slack. Now, I've never, I've never been in an environment where I had to use Slack. Slack was a popular application where people can communicate, teams can communicate with one another in real time. But he says because of the fact that we're constantly switching focus to check email or Slack messages or something like that, we never actually have the chance to truly focus on our most important work. Let's just talk about email for a second. There was a study that found that 84% of users actually keep their inbox open in the background at all times. Do you do this? Personally, I don't do this. I don't do this. I check my email at certain times in the day because I don't want the constant interruption. I, I find that it makes it really, really difficult to get into what Cal Newport calls deep work, which, which, which requires focus. And sometimes we can get a lot done in a very short period of time if we focus on the task and really can get into a flow. 
But when you hear that ping, and if you guys remember back in the days of BlackBerry, the red dot that would flash on the, on the BlackBerry, and people would be just kind of addicted to that. You get a dopamine hit. I got to check this message. But 84% of users actually keep their inbox open all the time. 70% of all emails are open within six seconds of getting that email. That, that's incredible. Talk about instant uh, communication. And the, the context switching is becoming a huge problem. So they found that the average knowledge worker checks in on email and instant messaging every six minutes. Whew. How bad is it? How bad is it? it? It's pretty bad. And this really raises a question. How are we supposed to get focused work done if you're checking your, your instant messages and email every six minutes? You, you really can't get deep into a task. And the fact is, you can't. You can't get your work done, at least well, if you're doing that all the time. And I know it's difficult because some of you guys have uh, bosses and, and direct reports who are constantly messaging you. And, and maybe you have the type of job where you have to be replying to this stuff in real time all the time. 35.5% 35, 35 of workers check their email every three minutes or less. So... <sighs> That's, that's, and only about 18.6% can go more than 20 minutes working without being pulled into some sort of a communication. So that, that's pretty bad. That means that essentially almost no workers out there get 30 minutes straight of focus time in a workday. We all know that it, we need this in order to do our best work. And so that, that's, that's the problem. And I think... This is, I think, part of the stress for, for a lot of people as they're going back to the office, return to office after COVID. The office is a great place for collaboration. There's certain synergies, of course, from working together. But I think a lot of people appreciated the fact that they could, they could maybe work in a more focused way when they were home. Maybe not. Maybe, maybe home was worse. Maybe home was, was more chaotic, depending on what was going on, especially when schools were closed and kids were home as well. But uh, this is uh, this is wild. In fact, one of the um, one of the researchers from this company, Rescue Time, actually uh, decided to volunteer, and she's a she's a data a data scientist, and she actually used her own data, and she kind of tracked her own week, her own work week, and over an entire work week, believe it or not, this woman only had eight half hour blocks of productive work where she did not check in on email. Throughout the entire week, there were only eight half hours where she did not check in on email or instant messaging. And then zooming in on just one of her hours uh, on June the 5th between 10 and 11 a.m., she switched to a different communication tool, whether email or Slack or something like that, in three of 12 five-minute blocks. Obviously, you, you can divide your hour of 60 minutes into 12 five-minute blocks. That essentially meant that she was using other communication tools during 25% of one working hour. So, so one hour, a quarter of that hour was spent doing all that stuff and not actually working on her tasks. Now, I'm not saying that these aren't important during the day, but it was just kind of shocking how much time is lost and how much productivity is lost because of these tools and distractions. I don't know, Patrick Alog, what, what do you think about that? How, how does... I'm sorry to distract you from your instant messaging. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, my personal email, I couldn't handle 
checking it all the time because there's just mm-hmm. I have so much more in the personal email, so I only mm-hmm. check that about mm-hmm. every thirty minutes or so. But like with with my work email, I actually get the notifications, and I find yeah. that better than having to check constantly. I when I get the notifications, I know it's there, mm-hmm. so I know yeah. okay, let me take a look and, and read it as opposed to just checking. So, okay. but that's just me. All right. And oh, oh no, I well, got a I notification. I just heard your phone ding in the background. So, <laughs> so, so you got a notification from somebody. Well, that, yes. this is good for me to know because now I know if you, if I email you, I know that you got it. Yes. Because you've set up your notification. So if you do ignore me, I'll know that you're ignoring me on purpose. So yes, consider yourself okay. forewarned. <laughs> but I, I, you know what I should do? I should I should actually post a screenshot of my of my phone right now. Do you know how many unopened messages I have on my phone? This is, I'm not making this up. I have nearly seventy thousand. On, right now, I'm at 69,716 unopened messages. That must be like from the beginning when you started email, like 20 years ago or whatever. It was just from this month, but no, I'm only kidding. Yeah, it's probably yeah, it's from when I was like 16 because uh, I don't have that many friends. But anyways, you guys are all my friends, and I appreciate you guys listening to the program. It's been the Kale Clark Show. Patrick Kale Clark produced. Thomas Essinger took your phone calls. Stay tuned for Timory and Father with the Family Rosary. Take it away, Michaela. Thank you for listening to my daddy.